Welcome to Tear Out the Tags, the podcast brought to you by Embolden Label, a space where you will learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how individual and extraordinary you are. I'm your host, B. Evans, here to take you on a journey to live emboldened within yourself and embolden others along the way. Let's get started. Team Embolden, I am so excited for today. And initially, I was a little bit shaken, a little bit nervous because I've actually already hosted this wonderful guest on my podcast. And unfortunately, the entire audio file was corrupt and our entire conversation was cut off midway through. And I was so bummed because we had such an amazing conversation. And then I thought there is a reason that we are coming together and we are doing this again because more needs to come out of this and more needs to be brought to you. And so I'm really, really excited to introduce this special guest once again here on the podcast. But here's the thing, as I was going through my introduction and how I wanted to bring him onto the show today, everything that I was looking at were just a bunch of labels. And I am so against that. And the thing about the labels he wears is they're amazing, but they don't do him justice. None of them. And so I'm going to give this person a label today to start out the show. And that label is everyday extraordinary. And this is a tag that I believe that a lot of people are walking around with. And we tend to overlook these extraordinary people because as a culture, we're so focused on celebrities or people who have massive followings on Instagram or people who we think are very successful, maybe financially. And in the meantime, we're walking by people and lacking the ability to notice how truly incredible they are. So for today, he is wearing the tag everyday extraordinary, because this is a person who, if you gave him the space in your life, I guarantee you, he would change your life. And that is extraordinary. So I will now go into his full introduction. James Norris is the founder of Handy Capable Fitness, but he is so much more. He is a speaker, a motivator, a mentor, a friend. He is someone who cares so much about people in general and making sure that he is inspiring and championing that he is a champion for other people. And that is something that he does all the time. Every day that I see him show up, he is doing that. So James has a really unique story. And when he was born, he was actually born three months early and he describes being smaller than a Velveeta box. So you can about imagine how tiny he was and the human spirit inside of him is truly the biggest that I've ever come across in my life. And so I think it's going to be really exciting to get into his story today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, James Norris. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That is one of the best, if not the best intro I've ever had. So thank well, you so, so much. You're welcome. I was trying not to cry because James has been someone who I just met on Clubhouse and we connected and then our friendship has grown really rapidly. And you're, you're truly someone who inspires me every day through my struggle. And 
I think sometimes when you're in a leadership position, people look at us and think that we don't have struggles or that we've worked through all the struggles. And that's just not the case. And we were talking about this before we started the episode. Funny enough, I've had actually quite a few weeks here where I've been kind of juggling some different struggles in my own life. And James asked me what my favorite scripture was. And I sent him my favorite scripture and it's let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And funny enough, it's from the book of James 119. And he had it put on a plaque for me and it's sitting right here behind me in the office. And it arrived at a time where I needed it most. And I just think that everything about you, James is so special. And you just are someone who is really in tune with the, the Lord's calling on your life. And so I'm really excited to get into the episode today and really talk about how you have developed your spirit and your sense of inspiration and resilience and all of the things that make you, you. So tell me what it was like. So you were born prematurely and you had a number of surgeries in the first years of your life. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't assume that you don't remember it, but do you remember going through so much trauma at such a young age? Well, obviously the first one that, that I had at about two, two and a half, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit sooner than that, I don't remember. But as I went growing up through my teen years, I think my last surgery was around 13 or 14. But before that, there was a whole bunch. And, I, you know, I just remember being like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And specifically that last one sticks out in my mind big time because you know, like I said, I was 13 or 14, somewhere in there, and they wanted to do surgery on both my hips and hamstrings at the same time, but they didn't want me to miss school, so they did it in for summer vacation. So I was literally in cast from my hips down to the tips of my toes, and it was really a miserable summer, mm. but, but you know what? You know, for, for a while there, it got really tough, but my, my family really helped me pull through and and they were great they supported me along the way all my doctors and and nurses and everybody they really played a huge part in it that I that I really didn't realize until kind of reflecting back on it years later yeah well and when you were just two two and a half years old you were diagnosed with cerebral palsy yes so what had happened just to give a little bit of backstory to the listeners was I had went in for a hernia operation and it was during that operation that the mask came off my face and my brain was without air for five and a half minutes, but the doctors never said anything to my, to my family. So they brought me home thinking everything was fine. Then they realized that I wasn't hitting certain milestones. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, we had moved to Boston. So Children's Hospital wasn't that far away. They called Children's, made an appointment, and shortly thereafter, that's when they diagnosed me with the CP. And so for those listeners who don't know what cerebral palsy is, how would you describe it? Um, it is a neurological disorder, and no two types of CP are exactly alike. Um, there's some people that have it a little bit worse, and then there's some people that you know have a very mild case. I would probably say I'm in the middle because... I can't walk and my left arm is messed up or I can walk, but I need braces and a walker to do so, 
or I need to be holding on to something. Um, but there's other people that have speech impediments and, and you know, grueling issues and all these different things that they have to deal with. So no two cases are exactly alike. So I consider myself really blessed to be somewhere in that middle range. And this is common of different disabilities where there there's a spectrum of ability, correct? Yes. So autism is is kind of the same thing where there's a spectrum, you know, some people have it a little less, some people have it a little more. And so if when you have CP, are you able to work on different abilities and improve different things? Or are you handed, you know, you're, you're telling us what you are capable of doing. Are you able to stretch that and gain capabilities? Yes. So, I mean, ultimately there is, there is somewhat of a ceiling, so to speak, because I'll never be able to run the Boston marathon. I don't believe, Okay. but you know, through exercise and fitness and physical therapy and occupational therapy growing up, you know, I'm able to, because of that, I'm able to stretch my legs a little bit more. And in turn, I can walk up and down the stairs if I'm holding on to something. So it goes back to that old adage, if you don't use it, you lose it type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and what I love about your story is, and I think you actually wrote this on your website, you say, you'll never hear me say, poor me. And a lot of that is attributed to having a family that didn't treat you like you were different. They treated you like you were capable of doing all the things. And, and you, you have that spirit, at least from what I see, I watch you do all of these amazing things. So how much did that spirit of capability help you in your life as you grew and navigated the challenges of having a disability, but also learning that you had all these abilities? That. That was really important. And I have to give first and foremost credit to God for giving me the, the parents and the family that he did. And then my parents because and my family, because at the end of the day, they never, like you said, they never treated me any different. In fact, I like to tell people that they held me to a higher standard because they never wanted me to use my condition as somewhat of a crutch, mm -hmm. you know, so it was kind of a 50-50 thing for them. There, there was times, you know, in my childhood where my mom, just being a typical mom, she's like, oh, no, I don't want you to do that, you know. But then I was like, mom, take it easy. I got this. Like, let me kind of fall on my face, so to speak, and, and learn the ropes of this world. But that stuff wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't have developed that attitude if they didn't push me. You know, I remember distinctly, when I would get a bad grade in school, you know, I would not only have to answer my parents, but I'd have to get on the phone and call my grandparents and let them know that I got a bad grade. And it was really a team effort of everybody in my family raising me and holding me to that standard. Mm -hmm. And I think it, I think it really just painted who I was because like I said, as I got into my teen years, there was things I wanted to do and that loving, nurturing side of my mom came out and she's like, oh no, you can't, you know, I don't want you to do that. What happens if you get lost on the train when mm -hmm. you're going into Boston and you're doing all these things? But then because of how they raised me, I was able to tell them, hey, it's okay. I got this. If I get lost, it's going to be fine. 
yeah. you know, I'll, I'll find my way back. And I, I was able to advocate for myself. So I think all of that played a huge part in to making me who I am. It's funny. I mean, that term alone, and, and I don't know, maybe you say this a lot, but when I see everything you do, that's the tag that I see is I got this. I mean, there's never a time that I've, since I've known you where I've seen you showing anything, but that you're always sort of chasing that next goal or that next line. And I think it's important to bring up, you know, you mentioned the things you wanted to do, like getting on the train and going to the city, but you also have a incredible love of sports. And I think that that alone could have been something that someone in your life could have discounted you and said, oh, you can't do athletics. You can't be involved in sports, but you actually found a way to make that not only life's passion, but a career. And so it led you into radio. Can you tell us about how you cultivated this dream, how you manifested, you know, into this industry that you, you loved? Yes. So I think growing up in Boston, I I don't know where a lot of your listeners are from, but here in Boston, you know, it's pretty much ingrained in your blood that you're going to love the Red Sox. You're going to love the Mm -hmm. Bruins and the Patriots and the Celtics. And for me, that was no different. And growing up, you know, I was, I was super shy. I mean, I had friends in school, but I was never really the outgoing one to go to a party or go to a Friday night football game. And we can get into that a little later as to why I felt that way. But how I really related to people at that time was through sports, because whether you're able-bodied or not, I watch, I watch the Patriots on Sunday too. So that's something where I was able to find common ground and talk to people about. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew I couldn't play you know, necessarily at a professional level or a college level. So I was like, okay, well, how can I get myself in this arena and be able to live this kind of lifestyle? And one day I was listening to sports radio and I heard a commercial come on the air for the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And I said, boom, that's it. I called up, you know, went and did the tour of the school did the audition and everything. And let me tell you, B, when I did the audition, you know, I went to them and I said, I realized that that was absolutely terrible. And, you know, I stumbled over my words. I acted like I had never read before. And it was just, it was just miserable. And I went to them and I said, if you let me in this school, there will be nobody that outworks me. And thank God they let me in. And I was able to get an internship and then worked in Boston radio for five, six years, and then even in California for a little bit. That's incredible. And so a huge part of where you are now started really in California. So you moved to California and everything was quite a bit more spread out and a little more challenging as far as having um, your life be easy to kind of get around and And so you describe kind of getting into unhealthy eating habits. And so tell me, like, how did that start to sort of take over once you were in California? Well, you know, I say all the time that through my years in radio that I lived an active lifestyle. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, a fitness related lifestyle, but I was always going to concerts, always going to sporting events and doing different things. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, as you alluded to, I moved to California and 
they didn't have a disabled ride service at the time. And everything in California is super spread apart. Oh, yeah. So I, so I literally went from living this active lifestyle to now all of a sudden, unless my friends and family came over that I had in the area, I didn't really go out and I didn't do much. So that really led to some severe depression because at that time, my identity was not only sports, but it was radio. Right. And I had, I had picked up everything that I had known, moved to California to bump elbows with, you know, some stars. And now all of a sudden I'm sitting on my couch, you know, five days out of the week and really kind of hating life at this point. Right. So it, it led to some severe depression. Well, and for so many people that are listening, I and mean, we've just walked through a really difficult year and a lot of people are walking through that emotion right now. And that, that diagnosis even, and trying to figure out how to get out of it. And what I heard you say there that is so powerful to me is at the time that was my identity. And I think so many people feel stuck where they are right now, or maybe there was a time in their life that felt stuck. So how did you decide that you were done with that part of your identity, that you were done in that season of your life? You know, it's a really distinct story that sticks out in my mind. There was, there was one night where I had a little too much to drink. And I remember, you know, stumbling my way up to bed and I'm laying in bed and I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm talking to myself in my head. And I say to myself, James, what are you doing? God has a bigger plan for you and you're, you're wasting it by doing 12 ounce curls every day, just drinking alcohol. Yeah. And, but I really didn't know what the change needed to be because I didn't grow up, you know, with a fitness and nutrition background. But the one thing I did know was that the way I was eating and drinking needed to change. So that next morning, I went to Walmart and got a bunch of those prepackaged salads. And mm -hmm. I told myself, I'm like, listen, if I can eat 10 of these, then that's at least a step in the right direction to make it happen. So the next morning, got dressed, you know, and went down to Walmart, got those salads and said, that's it. I'm done drinking. I'm done eating the junk food. This is going to this is going to be it. And it all kind of snowballed from there. And that's usually how it goes. Those aha moments, they're usually not not as profound maybe as people think they should be. My, my aha was two elevator doors closing and which would make no sense to anyone unless I really explain it. But it's interesting how it really does start with those baby steps. It starts with that, that progression forward. And I think that as a society, we, we sort of resent that because we're in such a now world. We want it now. We want the change. Now we have very little patience. We have very short attention spans, but really that, that change happens over time in just improving those steps and making the right steps forward. And, and along that journey, we kind of, we have a tendency to sort of stray and, and learn lessons as we go. And so describe for me, when was your first time kind of stepping into the gym environment and what was that like for you? So after I got laid off in California, I moved back to Boston once the lease was up on my house. And thankfully, I was able to get my job back at the radio station I had worked at prior. 
And I remember coming home from work. Now I live on the second floor and I get around on my knees. So mm-hmm. I'm crawling up the stairs and I finally get to the top of my stairs into my house and I'm sweating like I ran the marathon. And mm-hmm. at this point I was only 20 something and I would go to bed every night and my, my knees would just throb in pain. And I was like, I have to do something. I don't know what, what I can do for workouts, but I have to do something. There, there's a local gym that was right around the corner from my house. I said, all right, well, I'm going to go join and I'm going to do what I can do and kind of figure it out as I go. And I would literally go to the gym every day and do the same workout because I, I didn't know any different at the time. Mm-hmm. And finally, a trainer saw me and he's like, listen, you're in here every day. He's like, I see you in here putting in the work. He's like, let me design a program around you, your challenges and your goals. And we'll see what we can put together. I was like, okay, great. And shortly thereafter, you know, one thing led to another. I I started to see the weight come off. I started to find that confidence in myself. I I was no longer defined as James with cerebral palsy. I was James. And when, and when I say that, I want to I make something clear. When, when I shed that tag, as you would call it, um, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I denied my cerebral palsy, but before I found fitness, that was how I identified myself. Yeah. I was, I had cerebral palsy and oh yeah, my name is James. I, and, I, I think a lot of the tags that we grow up with and roles that we play in our lives oftentimes become the template of our identity. And what I love what you said there, I want to kind of go back to is you said, I, I found the confidence, the confidence was in you, but we have to sort of pull out some of these tags. And and it's interesting because I have a similar, you know, I'm, I was a single mom for many years and even the tag mom is a really a weighted tag. You know, it, my kids are my everything. It's, it's, it's such a big piece of who I am. And of course I would never want to, or be able to remove the tag mom, but sometimes that tag is defined it within me a little too heavily. And I have to move it and redefine it so that other things in me can kind of come to the surface. And that's what I hear you describing. Yes. I, I, I love that. And I mean, just to allude to what you are talking about with the tag that you wear of mom, First and foremost, it's an amazing tag and you're it like a superhero really for doing that. <laughs> Thanks. But but at the same time, I think what you were talking about there is almost you feel guilty because you want to do something for yourself or or something and but you can't include the kids, so to speak, or you have this yearning to do something, but hey, you can't do it because you're a mom and moms don't do that. And the biggest thing I would say there is, and this goes for anybody, you have to put yourself first if you want to be that loving, caring, nurturing person, because it's not a selfish thing. It's you filling up your own cup to then pour out to other people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think in general, when we are kind of interacting with people and having relationships, oftentimes we are handed those tags with a lot of pressures. So you know, you having CP and having 
certain abilities that maybe allow you to show up in a unique way in the world also make people make assumptions about your abilities and the way that you show up in the world. And I think that's true of a lot of the hats that we wear, a lot of the, the roles that we play. And it's hard to step out of that pressure sometimes of like, this is how society or the culture that I'm immersed in sees me and I'm allowed to show up differently. So, and that's what you did by going in that gym, you're going, yeah, everything you might believe about me is wrong. And I'm about to prove that to you. Exactly. But to be fair, I took on those tags too, because that's how I was conditioned right by by society so it's funny that you say that because as i was proving it to other people i was also in a way proving it to myself big time big time i mean that's that's what it's about right so tell me i want to really go into and i hope that this is a, a safe place to be vulnerable in i want to go into what is the most common assumption that people made about you that was completely inaccurate that I must have this horrible life and that it's, you know, miserable to be me because, oh, wow, I have to use a wheelchair to, to get around or I have to use a walker or leg braces. Man, he must have a terrible life when, in essence, I have a great life. Could there be things that I wish were a little different? Of course. But having cerebral palsy has opened up so many doors for me in so many different ways. You know, I'm able to connect with people on a multitude of levels because not only do I get to mentor other people with challenges or disabilities, but I also get to speak to their families and be like, hey, you know what, I can only speak from my experience here, but this is when you should really push little Johnny to go after this, or this is where he might need a little bit of help. So just be on the lookout for that. And, you know, it just, like I said, it's opened up so many different doors and I tell people that it's my superpower. Mm -hmm. It is your superpower. Well, I have to tell a quick story about, about our relationship because I'm auditioning right now for a dance team. And it's, it's very much a part of my brand and tearing out the tags, you know, I'm old or it's too late in my life to do something like this. And there's a lot of physical tags, body image tags that I'm pulling up. And this audition has caused a lot of upset in with certain people in my life. Um, some people I know, and some people I don't, but I've, it always kind of invites a lot of heated tags to be, to be thrown at me. I had been kind of sharing with James, how it makes me feel when somebody looks at me in the body that I'm in and just decidedly tags me because they think they know who I am. And, you know, I've torn out the tag, like just a pretty face because sometimes I feel like people aren't willing to see that there's an intelligent being inside of me that wants to connect on a human level. And James is one of the first people who got, who got that, who saw me and, and was able to identify that he's treated the same way. Oftentimes people decidedly believe that they know what his life must be like, just based on the external appearance and the body that we were given. And just for James to have the heart to be able to see me in such a unique way is just, it's a gift. It is absolutely his superpower. So I, I am a hundred percent on board with that. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, thank you for sharing that with me 
as you did in in text over Instagram, but struggle recognizes struggle, you know, mm-hmm. and and you you have a little bit of a different struggle than I have, but at the end of the day, that is the common denominator here that is bringing us together. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk about me and how I was able to relate to you because of you sharing some of the stories that you have with me, I've been able to relate and help other people because I draw upon some of our conversations and I'm like, oh, I remember B saying this. So let me kind of put this in here, or this is what this person needs at this particular time. So you've helped me out just as much. Well, we have a lot of commonality in our mission, so it's probably easy for us to inspire each other. And, you know, I want to kind of go more into some of these assumptions because to be totally vulnerable, I've had some of these assumptions about folks who have a different body or a different struggle than I do. And so one of the things that you had described to me in previous conversations is that folks assume that you need a caretaker. And Mm -hmm. the opposite is actually true that you are a provider, you wear the provider tag. And so you actually have, you know, members of the family or friends or your company that you need to be the provider of. So tell me about that tag. That, that, you know what, that's a heavy one. That's, that's probably one of the heaviest ones that I wear. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to I don't want to say rip it out because I think it plays a huge role in my character and my calling here on this earth. But at the same time, it's okay. Where do I draw the line, so to speak? Yeah. You know, and that I honestly haven't figured out, you know, um, because I am the type of person I'll just use handicapped fitness as an example. You know, I, when I would do videos of me working out, I would never show myself from my left side Mm -hmm. because, because my left side is my weaker side. So I always thought that I was using baby weight on that side. So I just didn't show it. But then I said to myself, James, if, if you're going to be a leader in this community and you're going to be a leader just for people, then you really need to get 100% vulnerable and show them you working out with your left side because other people that you're talking with or mentoring, you know, they have those struggles yeah. and you want to you want to show them that hey, you know, own it because this is part of you. But right. at the same time, that becomes really really heavy to to be quote unquote always on so to speak and when I say that I don't mean it negatively so I hope people out there listening think that they don't think that I'm you know being like oh man this sucks I have to do this I absolutely love what I do I love being that caring genuine person for people yeah well and you know I think you bring up such a great point and I've had a lot of conversations recently with both men and women who struggle with the tag provider. And I think what's happened in our lifetime is that that tag has gotten to be quite confusing and also more complex. And Mm -hmm. it's no longer a tag that only means financial provider. It's now provider of many things to many people. 
And the pressure of that grows as our world turns faster, at least in my, in my provider tag that I wear. And I think too, there's a gender component here where men are wearing it in a certain way with a certain pressure and women are trying to wear it and maybe not always getting the credit of wearing it. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but you bring up a great point that it comes with a lot of pressure to navigate. And in addition to this provider tag, there's also this, what do I want to call it? I'm going to say relationship tag. And that's not the right one. Cause you have relationship with so many people. You're like me. I mean, we both really thrive on meeting new people and connecting and really getting on a human spirit level with people. But what I'm talking about is more of that romantic relationship. And this has been, a, this has been something that you and I've talked about in great depth that I'd love to go into for our audience, because I think that's another big assumption that gets made about people who maybe are perceived to need a caretaker. Cause that's, you know, something that we've chatted about. And so tell yeah. me about this love category for you. Okay. So that is, that's another huge, huge tag that I'm trying to definitely rip out there. So many people see me and they think, oh, he needs a caregiver. If I get, get involved with him romantically, I basically have to be his, his nurse and I have to be there, you know, a hundred percent of the time. And that's, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Do, do I need a little bit more, you know, from a, from a caregiving standpoint? Sure. But in the grand scheme of things, it's no different than, than what somebody else may need. It all, it all depends on what somebody's love language is at that point. Yeah. You know, some yeah. people like, some people like affection, some people, or the physical affection, some people like the handwritten notes, whatever the case may be. Well, this, this is just another form of a love language. But what it really boils down to, and you can take it to any relationship really, is communication. Mm -hmm. I just wish that, I just wish that people would ask and give me the opportunity to voice everything and then and then make the assumption to say okay can i see myself going down this road forever because i don't want to toot my own horn but by making that assumption of oh i have to be a caregiver or you know he can't do this or he can't do that you're missing out on a great person that can really bring some positivity to your life and vice versa. I don't want somebody that is going to need to provide for me. I want somebody that's going to walk hand in hand with me yeah. and we're going to, we're going to grow through life together. Yeah. And that value exchange of, you know, you gain this from me and I gain this from you, that true romantic relationship where it's a mutual benefit and you grow together over time. What I think people need to know about James is, you know, he describes wanting to champion for other people. And I see him do this every day. And I think the thing that we've discussed in great length is not everyone who has a diagnosis or a disability wants to be open and necessarily talk about it. And sometimes when we ask questions, 
they're hurtful because maybe they're not ready to talk about it, or maybe we don't know how to ask the questions, but James is an incredibly open person who is happy to share details with you and really help you understand what kinds of questions to ask and how to approach someone who you might perceive as different than you. And so I want to get into James, like for those, for those that are listening and they want to learn more about someone, maybe they work with, or someone that they live near who has a part of them that is different from this person. How would you suggest like broaching into having those conversations of learning and really getting to explore who that person is i mean you have to you have to take into consideration their body language how do mm. how do they speak and really and really listen to them and and see if they're open and because at, at the end of the day and i can only speak from my experience and the people that i've spoken with you know um in this in this population most people want to be asked about their their you know challenge because they they want to have that opportunity to prove to people that hey yes i have a disability but it doesn't define me yeah. so i always tell people you know think about think about you think about your loved one when you when you go and you approach somebody and you ask them a question would you get offended how they phrase it because at the end of the day when it comes down to it, when when the uh, feathers get ruffled, so to speak, it's not because the person asked the question; it was the way that they asked the question. Yeah, big time. You know, so so before you ask that question, use a little bit of common sense and say, "Hey," and you can even you can even start it off by saying, "Please forgive me." You know, I may not phrase this correctly, but xyz and mm -hmm. then leave it leave it up to that person to say hey you know you you didn't you didn't phrase that question right but here's how you would frame it going forward and it's just it's all in the approach and being willing to communicate yeah i totally agree and i think too we have to be so careful and, and you said this without going all the way there but we have to be so careful not to ask judgment questions and insert our opinions into what we're actually asking. And that's kind of a, this ingraining of what we believe we know. And I do this all the time. And I try so hard not to, because I hate when people ask me judgment questions. Like one of my favorites is people, when I was an MBA cheerleader, they would always say, you don't make any money doing this, do you? And it's like, well, why'd you ask? If you, if you already know I don't, or you already believe I don't, then why are you asking, you know? And rarely did people want to hear a different answer either. And I think that that happens so often that we just kind of shut down that part of us. It's not just people who are perceived different that get asked judgment questions. A lot of us have the tendency to ask judgment questions. And it's funny because years later, somebody said to me, this was like 12, 12 years later. It was the first time I was ever asked, what was your favorite part of being an MBA cheerleader? And my answer is I loved throwing t-shirts into the audience, which is not something that anyone would assume. <laughs> it's a, such a, it's a, it's kind of a unique and bizarre thing that I really enjoyed doing. But to your point, when we approach something with, you know, what sets your heart on fire versus 
is it hard being in that chair all the time? You're going to get such a different response and such a different openness from people who you perceive different than you. So I just love that approach to, you know, how, how to kind of start those conversations and they're hard conversations to have, you know, it's worth talking about. Exactly. And kudos to you for the, for that analogy there. That, that was, that was a great one. And, you know, guys, at the end of the day, when we, and, and this can go for anybody, any sort of population at the end of the day, when we strip away the tags of financial status, job title, able-bodied versus disability, whatever the case may be. When we strip all that stuff away, all we really yearn for is connection mm-hmm. and, and to feel like our life matters and that we can relate to anybody. Yeah. Um, so again, just, just be kind of not soft in your approach, but literally ask yourself, if somebody were to ask me this question, how, how would I want it to be phrased? Yeah. And then and then go forth and ask the question because 98% of people want to talk about it. They want to share their story. They want to be heard and they want to educate. It's just right. a matter of reading the room and figuring out, hey, this person's cool with it, or I don't think this person is, at least right now. Maybe we can come back to it a little later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And a lot of it's building that relationship and that trust. So I want to go into for a minute, because James does a a ton of public speaking. He comes into organizations and inspires and incites knowledge onto teams and organizations about communication and about all of these amazing things that he, that he teaches and through handy capable fitness, he is always inspiring and also sharing other people's journeys, which I just find like nine times out of 10, when I hop on Instagram, I see James's work. And I just, I'm just blown away with the things that people are doing and the, and the challenges that they're overcoming. And some of them, most of the ones on your page are physical, but there are so many of us who have emotional disabilities or financial disabilities or family, you know, challenges. And so how would you approach someone who had a ton of limiting beliefs about their version of being stuck with what they have? Okay, so it goes back to what your previous question was about building relationships, right? So I'll use a social media account for an example. Let's say, let's say, B, we we didn't we didn't know each other, right? Mm-hmm. I f- I find you, and I'd watch your page, and I'd be like, you know what? From from seeing her stories, it looks like she's into it looks like she's into cheerleading, you know. She's out there on the farm. She loves rabbits, all these different things. And, you know, so draw that commonality with people and say, hey, you know what? I remember growing up when I was a cheerleader too. And that really, that really, um, you know, gave me, gave me this huge confidence in life. I just want to compliment you on what it is that you do. Or, yeah. hey, B, it looks, like, it looks like you got your hair done today. It looks great. You know, and it's really finding what people's strengths are and pouring into them or what you perceive them to be and really just pouring into them and highlighting them and and blowing them up and helping them to see, oh my gosh, yeah, I I really do add value to this world. And because 
oftentimes we don't see what our gifts are. We right. find our we find our gifts by others highlighting it, by people comment commenting on things or saying that we're that we're good at something. And then we psychologically begin to believe it. Oh, James, you're you're, you're such a great public speaker. Wait, what? I, I've never I've never spoken a day in my life on a public stage. But then that bug gets dropped in my ear and I'm like, hold on a second. I can do so this. Many, yeah. So many people have said I can do this. So let me give it a shot. And yeah. next thing you know, somebody's dream is sparked because you poured into them that way. Oh my gosh. I just want to like throw an amen at this whole concept because uh, like there's so much here that I want to just like, like wrap a bow around. And it's funny because so many of us have these limiting beliefs and all of these tags that we're wearing that are blocking our dreams. It took for me, my mentor, seeing me through a lens that I didn't own the glasses for, but that took time. It took an investment. It took a, a level of mentorship and coaching. And that's what you do. You do this for people every day where you stop long enough to watch them and to see the good in them and to really invest in them. And that alone helps people. I'm not saying that right, but it helps peel off those limiting beliefs when we can start to believe in others. And it goes back to the tag that I gave you at the beginning of this episode, this everyday extraordinary, most people. I shouldn't say most, that's such a, that's such a rule break of my own, but there are many people who are not slowing down long enough to really see into the people that they are surrounded by on a daily basis. And I just, I'm so grateful one to have you be someone who sees into me that way, but also to be friends with someone who's affecting change in so many people's lives, because you're willing to take that time and invest in people on an individual basis. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you find the time, but you're so good at it. Well, well, thank you. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, T.D. Jenks, I saw in an interview with him not too long ago, and he said, he was asked, how are you, how are you such a great communicator? Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, because, because I listen. And when I heard, when I heard that, no pun intended, when I heard that, you know, I was like, yes, because it's not only about listening to what people are saying, but listen to the words that they're not saying. Yeah. Because, because ultimately, when we want to talk about something, but we don't have the courage to do so, we'll, we'll beat around the bush and yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll use filler words, right? And so us as listeners, it's up to us to not only highlight, you know, those people's talents and gifts, but it's up to us to be able to pull out what it is that they're trying to say. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. A hundred percent. So I have to kind of speak into our audience for a minute because you had mentioned when you were younger that you weren't super outgoing. So I would, I'm going to label you as introverted back then. I would label myself extroverted more in my now years. I don't know that I was really an extrovert as a child. I don't know that I've ever really thought that through, but I want our extroverts that are listening to hear this piece, uh, loud and clear because as extroverts, we tend to fill space. 
because space and quiet makes us really uncomfortable because we get energy from other people. And so if someone isn't giving us that communicative energy, we just will bulldoze right over them. You know, my mentor calls it a me monster. And I was the biggest me monster. And I really struggled hearing people and really being a good listener. And luckily have gained a lot of tools to be able to do that. But it's interesting how I had to notice my discomfort in going one step further. So if somebody shared with me that they had a challenge growing up because their right arm was amputated, my personality would want to go deeper and ask a question, but I would be so fearful that I was like, just stepping a little bit too far into their zone. And I think that's where all these questions are so important to be able to be comfortable going into that next layer of communication with someone and really getting to know what's at the center of their heart and at the core of their values. And it's interesting because on the other side of the spectrum, as an introverted person, my belief is that introverts are much better listeners because they give space to process and they hear so much more clearly than extroverts do. And it's interesting because no matter what side you're on, there are tools you can do to kind of get to the middle. And I, I don't know, I'd love to know how you identify as whether it's extrovert or introvert now, because I see you as an ambivert. I see you as someone who takes in a ton and also offers a ton. I think you're a hundred percent on point there because it's kind of weird. Like, we'll, you know, be I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, oh, you know, I remember gr growing up, my mom, you know, would like yellow tulips. And, and ever since then, they really mean the world to me. So when I give a gift, so to speak, or it doesn't even need to be a gift or, or a monetary thing or a physical thing, but I really look at, okay, this person said that they like yellow tulips because it means something to them. So I'm going to figure out a way to incorporate that because it's all about leaving positive footprints on people's hearts. Mm -hmm. And anybody can buy a Tiffany's necklace or, you know, or not anybody, but, you know, anybody can buy something that is super expensive, super flashy, a car and say, here you go. But it's like, what are we doing to really leave that positive footprint on somebody's heart? But how you develop that skill is you first have to listen yeah. because people just want to be heard. No, I totally agree. This episode is jam-packed with tear out the tags messaging. I mean, you're the perfect guest for resolving all that it takes to pull out some of these tags. So I have a question for you and I'm going to try to wrap up, even though I really don't want to, cause I love chatting with you, but what is something that you've always wanted that you don't yet have? Oh man, that, that is a, that is a really good question. I've always wanted to buy a house. That goal is going to happen soon. I, I, I know it is, but you know what B I want somebody and this is going to, I don't mean this in a negative way. This is, this is purely from a positive standpoint. I want somebody to, to give me a chance because 
because I know when somebody gives me a chance, I'm not only learning from them, which that's that's a huge part, but I am getting something from them. I want to be pushed out of my comfort zone and evolve myself. Mm-hmm. So I want I want to learn from somebody. I want to go through life with somebody. Yeah. That's going to challenge me and push me to be better. And yeah. and I want to I want to do that for for another person, you know. But I tell myself in God's timing, and I think that's very important. You yeah. know, I don't want to push faith on everybody. We have very similar beliefs when it comes to that. But in God's timing, that stuff will happen. But it's a very hard tag to wear because it's like, okay, well, I'm doing all these things. And people are saying, oh, wow, you're such a great human. But yeah, you know, you're going to get put over here in this sandbox. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, like all that stuff is going to happen. In the meantime, I just have to work on being my best self so that I can add to other people. Without a doubt. And, Without a doubt. You know, so so the, the house and the relationship, I would say, to sum it up. I, I agree 100%. And here's what I'm going to say to our audience. If you see the heart in James, like I see the heart in James, feel free to slide into his DMs because <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you're so deserving of this and it's going to be fun for me and those of us who are cheering for you to watch you accomplish these goals and step into that next season of life when you get the opportunity to, and until then you're just going to keep cranking and up-leveling and accomplishing. And it's just, man, you're just, you're a huge inspiration. So last question here, how do you define champion? Okay. Pushing yourself to do something that you never thought was possible. And what, and what I mean by that is we don't have to be successful necessarily in terms of getting on that cheerleading squad or, or buying that house that picture perfect house that we, that we wanted right off the bat. Right. But no, it's, or losing that weight. It's getting in the gym and it's putting in that effort and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to achieve something bigger because we're, we all have greatness in us, but it's up to us to define what that greatness is. And to me, that's a champion. Somebody that's willing to push themselves just a little bit and to see what could happen. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. You talk about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think sometimes our comfort zone is the most uncomfortable place that we live, you know, and we call it a comfort zone because we are actually comfortable there, even though we're very, we're actually quite stuck. And so I think that's a really important lesson and being a champion for yourself is a lot of times just being courageous enough to step out of that uncomfortable zone. Is that fair to say? Yes, you, because you owe it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because, because, you know, I'll go back to what you said about wearing the mom tag. You, you, have, to, you have to show up for yourself first so that you can be the best mom you can. So right. that you can be the best wife that you can. You know, but if you always want to put people first, then your cup isn't going to be filled. Right. And, you know, all the other stuff is not going to fall in line the, the way that it is. So, guys, you owe it to yourself to to push yourself. Yeah. Because and- 
on that other side of fear, there's that greatness I was talking about. And that's such an important message. And I think that's a message we didn't grow up with in our childhoods that you actually owe, you know, I remember being raised with a lot of that, like people pleaser. And and that's not to say my parents wanted me to wear that tag, but I think we just out of habit kind of, we want that approval from others, especially when we're young. And it's such a strong message to say, you know, you owe that to yourself. You owe the hard work and the energy and the accomplishment to yourself and, and you're deserving of that. So I love, I love every bit of that. You can find everything that James is doing at handycapablefitness.com. And he's also the best person to follow on Instagram. I'm not kidding you guys. You'll be blown away by the content he puts out and the positivity. If you have a bad day and you're following James, your energy will get just boosted up 10 notches. It's incredible. And he is on Instagram at handy underscore underscore capable underscore fitness. And I will link all of his information in the show notes. I'm going to be bold here, James. Normally I would ask you if this was okay. James (laughs) is a helper. He definitely wears that tag. He is all about people. As he says, he's a champion for other people. So feel free to send him a DM, send him an email, get in touch with him and, and, and share how this message inspired you. And James, you are welcome back on the show anytime you want to come and talk more about tags. Thank you, B. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work because you, my friend, are changing lives too. I mean, I know that this episode is quote unquote supposed to be about me, but I want to take a second <laughs> and, and thank you for the work that you do because you affect more people than you truly realize. Oh, thank you. You're, you're amazing. And friends, that is everyday extraordinary right there. So thanks, James. Appreciate you. Appreciate you too. Thank you.